Welcome to Realcast, the weekly roundup of the real asset markets. I'm joined uh, this week by Dan Innes and Nicole Dines. And of course, a lot of the news has focused on the one year anniversary of the war in Ukraine. And as ever, our thoughts are very much with everybody there who's been affected and involved in that. We had a session last week focused on global trends. And of course, that came up quite a lot along with a number of other areas. Um, Nicole, you were obviously um, reporting on on that session. Um, what were some of your kind of key takeaways? Well, uh, first of all, the, the meeting at the New Veen's headquarters in London was incredibly well attended, which really shows that people want to get together again, which is a good sign in, in person and sort of network and uh, not just do it uh, online. Yes, yeah, so Stefan Wundrak of New Veen said that we're in the middle of a pricing correction and no one knows exactly where, where it's going. Transaction volumes are down across the world, as is liquidity, but there are very marked differences between the three big areas and Europe has been the worst hit, while Asia is sort of stagnating really nothing much happening he said but in the US demand is slowing uh, and there's a risk of oversupply but things are much better than in Europe although uh, Audrey Klein our SFO capital partner said that she was at a conference in the US recently she was very surprised to hear a lot of doom and gloom people were expecting a really sharp correction um, at which point Assem El Alami of, of Berlin Hips uh, said he was very worried about this because he very much looks at the US as kind of a canary in the coal mine uh, you know since since the great financial crisis they sort of look at the US to see what might happen in Europe so fingers crossed that uh, the doom and gloom had been exaggerated in, in, in the US. But Europe, uh, despite the difficulties and transaction volumes pretty much uh, in a grinding to a halt, Bundak said there's very much in post-peak pessimism. There's a feeling that the worst is over and it's very much all up to interest rates and what happens. Because um, as uh, El Alami has underlined, you know, if central banks stop the hikes, you know, if they manage to get inflation under control and they stop the interest rate hikes uh, earlier rather than later, then, uh, you know, valuations might just recover or stop, um, you know, getting worse. Well, obviously, if that happens later, the real estate market would be badly hit. So it's very much a question of seeing what happens and it's very difficult to tell. But on the whole, that's one that underlined, real assets have really done their work, you know, they've overperformed in 2022. And it's shown by the fact that global institutions are, are increasing their allocation to real estate. They've gone up from 8.9% in 2013 to an expected 11.1% this year, so 10 years later. So a steady increase in allocations to real estate, and that's set to continue. And uh, Megan Walters of Allianz said that Europe is pausing, the investment volumes are down, but American and Asian investors are still very much looking at real estate and investing. Um, so things are not all gloom and gloom. And even in, in Europe, um, said that yes, transactions are down, but the occupier side is still very robust and uh, buildings are still being let and tenants are paying their rent. That absolutely mirrors as well what um, what, what we heard from, from the market as well when I was in Madrid um, at the Iberian REIT conference, that um, those fundamentals were actually still very sound in terms of uh, occupiers and uh, and rent. Interesting as well. I I noticed there as part of the the discussion, um, ESG being very high on the agenda, but but also questions coming from the audience about Texas Teacher Pensions Fund divesting from investment firms um, who were focused on ESG. Some of these slightly more political decisions coming out of the US pension market. I was also interested to see in our newsline um, a, a couple of hotel deals. I saw Cheney backs a 62 million revamp of a classic five-star hotel in Helsinki, but also Swedish company Pandox paying Aperos 53 million for a central 
um, Leeds Hotel. So interesting to see some of those hotels beginning to uh, to transact now as well. Um, Dan, what have you been following? Well, uh, funnily, following that hotel angle to your point, Richard, I've been looking at a story um, about a Saudi real estate business that's set to list on the London market. Dar Global is set to raise $72 million through a, a direct listing in London, which will value them at around $600 million. Um, but, you know, with this economic backdrop with the Ukraine plummeting tech stocks that, you know, you've mentioned at the top of this session, Richard, uh, you know, there's been very little investor interest in newly publicly listed companies at all. That said, Dar, Dar Global has chosen London to sit to list as it sees it's, it's the best place to access new capital and build global visibility. The board of Dar Global is going to be led by independent non-exec chair David Hunter, but you'll remember he was the former president of the BPF, um, and he's also on the board of several UK-listed real estate businesses, including GCP, Student Living, and Capital and Regional. Um, you know, David Hunter said that Dar Global is going to bring a highly compelling business model to the listed real estate sector in the UK. But a bit of background on Dar Global, they've got a portfolio of 11 real assets. Four, four of those are in Dubai, but three are in Spain. One is in Oman, uh, Qatar, Bosnia and the UK. But the company also wants to expand into acquiring or building hotels in Spain, Dubai, the Maldives, Athens, Marrakesh and London. Elsewhere, looking ahead to London's future and especially pertinent ahead of MIPIM, um, a draft master plan for the redevelopment of Earl's Court in London was unveiled last week. And that detailed plans for up to four and a half thousand new homes and a huge park. Um, so that's been run by the Yields Court Development Company. And they're, they're promising to bring the wonder back to that long neglected, largely derelict 40 acre site in Zone 1 London. But two years in the making, those plans aim to create a landscape led development aiming to go beyond net zero and become a climate positive neighbourhood. 35% of those new homes are going to be classified as affordable um, and the development team says that up to 15,000 new jobs are going to be created. And the first phase of that development, which will include about 1,300 homes, is, is set to kick off in 2025. And then lastly, um, in luxury retail news, React uh, reported that the French luxury group Kering is selling its Gucci and Saint Laurent block at Swan House on Old Bond Street in London. And they're seeking offers of around £140 million to, to meet demand from investors into core markets and targeting more defensive assets with secure income profiles. Kering, which paid only £18 million for that block in 2001, has put in place 20-year leases with its brands Gucci and Saint Laurent, um, and they run a until 2036. But interestingly, it comes at the same time that a flagship store let to Alexander McQueen, which is also a caring owned brand at 27 Old Bond Street, it's in the process, that's in the process of being sold. Um, and on that uh, building, a private investor is, is understood to have exchanged already, but um, that um, is also a freehold retail led development um, being valued at around 140 million pounds. That's going to reflect a sub sub 3% yield, uh, which is around £6,800 a square foot. And it's all happening in Mayfair, Richard, because at the same time, Gucci, which houses its flagship store at number 34 Old Bond Street next door, they've signed a deal to relocate that store to Trofeum Asset Management's 144 to 146 New Bond Street, uh, which is going to be a 15,300 square foot store there. So, Lots of moving around in, in London's luxury streets. 
I noticed as well, London office demand was persisting despite the challenges, according to BNP Paribas Real Estate. And that also picked up a point, I think, from Megan in the session that we had last week from Alliance, um, just around that that's kind of potential strength in Europe, particularly, and resilience in terms of office markets. I also saw that the World Green Building Council were demanding stricter EU rules on uh, buildings emissions. And also, uh, in terms of the, uh, the affordable side, I noticed that that CBRE Investment Management um, secured two new local government pension fund schemes to invest in their UK affordable housing fund. Um, so equity commitments um, now reached 500 million for that. So really interesting to see um, that that kind of living and uh, affordable side coming through. And those will be topics that, that we'll be picking up at, uh, at MIPIM, certainly in both in the networking sessions that we have around impact and ESG, um, as well as senior housing and, and healthcare. Um, but also in the sessions that we're running as the official MIPIM investment track on on the Tuesday. There was also a, a slightly sad story for me anyway, um, as somebody who'd grown up with Meccano um, to find out that the last factory in Europe creating Meccano um, is to close. So for all of those early small constructors, sad news there. Thanks very much, Dan. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you for joining us and look forward to seeing you next week for our regular roundup of the real asset markets. Thank you.